Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Namaste, yogis. Andrew Seeley here to welcome you to another exciting episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Today, we connect with Krista Cahill, an experienced teacher's teacher with a passion for inversions and conscious living. We dive deep into her passion for saving our ocean's ecosystem, her connection with her master teacher, Madi, and her changed perspective on social media. The fact that we're broken or fragmented is an illusion. We're not. We're whole. Yoga is the practice of being reminded that we're already whole, connected, perfectly designed and ready to serve and to meet our dharma and to be of you know, service to the world. Get ready to let your passion grow as we go toe-to-toe with Krista Cahill on this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Namaste, Krista. Namaste. I'm happy to have you here today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Definitely. So let's just talk a little bit about your practice, um, kind of how you got into yoga. I had taken a few yoga classes, and I think that those yoga classes were a little slower and probably more geared towards the idea of stretching and and rehabilitating the body, and it didn't resonate with me, being Mm. a younger person who wanted to dance or surf or snowboard doing more of a high energy athletic more adrenaline based exercises Mm -hmm. um so i kind of always thought that yoga was maybe a little lame as (laughs) a teenager you know i just i had been exposed to just one small type of yoga and um i just happened upon a class uh, in Encinitas at Tim Miller's Shala on E Street. And I had been having a little soreness in my back. Uh, at that point, I was working in a kitchen. I had just graduated culinary school. And I was on my path to becoming a pastry chef. Wow. A pastry chef. I would have never known. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love cooking. I've been cooking since I was... Uh, a kid and at 17 I just decided I'm going to culinary school I'm gonna you know explore that path and Mm. just see where it takes me and in the kitchen you know you're working with heavy elements hot elements things that you strain your body trying to just keep yourself from getting burned or, you know, Mm -hmm. dropping what you're making. So I had strained my back and it was a strain that was chronic. So it it would go away, but it would come back. And, you know, I was in quite a bit of pain. And so I kind of just had this feeling like, oh, maybe I'll just try this yoga class. And I walked in and it was a Shtanga Mysore. Yeah. Tim Miller is amazing, mm -hmm. and he's very, like, 
poignant in how he teaches. So I'm surprised that you just, how'd you get to that class? How was that year? It was year? just random. Um, I was just living down there and it was just a very, I, I don't really know that it was a planned event. It just happened. I mm-hmm. wore jean shorts to the class. <laughs> And, you know, a bathing suit top. That was what I, I mean, I was so not, you know, uh, uh, I was very novice. I didn't know anything really about yoga other than what I had done before, which was all very easy stretching and Mm -hmm. being a dancer, you know, stretching for me was nothing. You know, I could go into the full splits without warming up. So you came from a dance background and you were already very flexible and you wanted to go to this yoga class to discover more about how to heal your back? I was just interested in ways that I could potentially alleviate some of the chronic pain. Because, you know, up until that point, any injuries that I had ever had always just went away over a period of time. This was something that was coming back. And I think it really stemmed from maybe a car accident that I had had during culinary school and then subsequently lifting heavy things and it just, you know, wouldn't go away. So I would have back pain to the point where I couldn't like really sleep at night. I would be in pain quite a bit. Hmm. So I went to this class and I did actually, um, the first series and I just followed the person next to me and I just did it and being a dancer I was very um I liked the fluidity of it I didn't understand the breathing and I wasn't really engaged in the breathing but I understood that there was a pace to it and I really liked that I liked that it was vigorous um I liked the idea of jumping back and jumping through I thought that it was very um, fun, you know, <laughs> to jump and to have some of the more athletic elements that Ashtanga offers. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, began to sort of discover the more Ashtanga or vinyasa based yoga through that. And I practiced with him and different um, teachers of his, a woman named Sandra Rudin. And a woman named Diana Christensen, uh, another woman named Denise Virtus, and these are all students of his that had classes. And I was, at that point, um, transferred up to Newport Beach. And so, you know, I would go down to San Diego and study with him, but I would also study with those teachers who would be uh, closer to my house. And mm-hmm. and I just really became excited about Ashtanga and um, at that point just began practicing every single day and I was 19 and it was great it was an amazing time for me because I didn't know anything about yoga and I had no judgments about what was right or what was wrong alignment or you know lineage and ego none of that existed to me because I was so ignorant about everything and I just loved it I just thought It was a time in my life when I connected to something that I really didn't even expect. Mm -hmm. So it was a very nice surprise to me. You were just passionate about it. Yeah, it was just, it was easy. It was was the the fluidity that I had been looking for all my life, you know, and all the different exercises that I like to do. So at that time, did you finish up culinary school and go straight into yoga? I was done with culinary school. I was in the process of my externship which was, you know, I had to accrue a certain amount of hours working in the industry in order to get my diploma. So um, I ended up finishing those hours, getting my diploma. And in that process, in that time frame, I showed up to a class. The teacher didn't show. The class said, Krista, you should basically step in, do your practice and just walk us through it. And so I did. They loved it. And they told the owner of the studio, and she put me right away on the schedule as a sub. And I'd never done any training of any kind, mm-hmm. you know, and I was brand new to yoga myself. It's just through your practice that people believed in yeah. you and wanted you to come yeah, in and teach. Yeah, they just knew that I was, you know, somebody who was very natural with yoga. Mm-hmm. And also I was so young, you know, so it was, it was just, 
it was easy for me. I was very malleable and I just took things in. And for me, Sanskrit and the counting, you know, in Ashtanga, it's just counting. So when you're leading an Ashtanga class, it's Ekam, Dve, Trini. And all of that just came very easy to me. I just memorized it. I just knew it pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right after that, Patabi Joyce came to town and I studied with him and, and he was down in Carlsbad and and I did that with him. And I just, I really thought, you know, this is something that I enjoy doing and maybe I'll just spend more and more of my time doing it. And, you know, the restaurant industry is a hard industry. And so I moved further away from being in the kitchen and more towards being a waiter so that I could spend, spend more, more time, time in the doing studio. yoga, <laughs> teaching yeah. yoga, splitting my time doing that. So, you know, then I, you know, was doing that for a while and a friend was talking about a class in LA with a teacher named Sean Korn. Mm. How amazing she was and I've always kind of been a feminist so the strong woman <laughs> archetype really resonates with me. I could see me. you guys being really good friends. I always thought, you know, she was just somebody that I really loved and loved to look up to and um, just loved her her energy and her power. So began driving up to take her class. Mm-hmm. And it was in her class that, you know, I... I mean, Vinny didn't know who I was, but I knew who Vinny was because, you know, he was friends with Sean. And as a younger person, I looked up to these people. And so in that way, I met, you know, Vinny and I became aware of some of the other teachers here in L.A. And when an opportunity came up, because I was still living in Newport at this time and just driving, an opportunity came up where um, Yoga Works was going to come down there and do a training with Chuck and Mati, who were the owners of yoga works yeah and, chuck miller mm-hmm, that's and awesome and so i signed up for that my parents gave me six hundred dollars wow it was just six hundred dollars at that time to do a yoga teacher training yeah it was six hundred dollars i got a discount because i was already teaching at the studio <laughs> so it was six hundred dollars my parents gave me the money didn't have any money and i mean at this point i'd already been teaching for like three years almost four years before you even had your training training. wow just mimicking Mm -hmm. you know and ashtanga is very easy because you know it's a set sequence i didn't have to know anything about sequencing i knew how long to hold you know you just count it's basically you know just very meditative and as long as you show up and hold the space people like you know like the class exactly because that they're already ashtanga practitioners Mm -hmm. so I did the training and, you know, I will never forget that first experience with those two and just realizing how vast this area of yoga is that I hadn't even explored any of it. And there was really so much and especially Mati was very passionate about the alignment and, you know, how to keep your students safe and how to see them and really be able to prognosticate sort of things that could be injurious in the future Mm -hmm. and I really respected her and loved her and I just immediately thought okay I'm gonna figure out how to get myself to LA to move to LA so I can study with this woman but at this time I didn't really realize that she was not gonna be here anymore Mm. so I put the wheels into motion to move up here and took me a while to get here and by the time I got here she was moving away so it kind of was a disappointment to me um but in that time um after I finished my teacher training I began to study with Annie Carpenter I wanted to ask why were you you so destined to study with these people who I guess were well known or or even did, did you sense some type of like knowledge that they had that you wanted I don't know what it was initially. I mean, you know, I had studied with Patabi Joyce at that point. By this point, I had studied with, you know, Patabi Joyce and Chuck Miller and, you know, Mati Zrati and Chuck Miller and Sean Korn. I, I mean, these these were people... I mean, Sean wasn't as well-known at that time, but these are people who were forces. I just was attracted to... I don't know why. I just always have been attracted to senior teachers. Mm-hmm. And Annie kind of was the... Uh, the person who sort of was passed on when Mati left, 
you know, the, the status of being the teacher's teacher. Mm-hmm. So I was living here and I just inherently began to take her classes and wanted to just learn everything that I could from her. And, um, I met my husband through her and Vinny in an intensive that they taught together. And tell us a little bit about your husband. He is a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. and he is also an ocean warrior for um, bringing awareness to ocean, you know, problems and, you know, what's going on out there and the different uh, pollutions and, you know, poaching and things that are prevalent in our world right now. And When you first met him, was he super passionate about it? No. No? No. He was super passionate about yoga. He was the manager at Main Street Yoga Works. Oh. He was Annie Carpenter's main student. Wow, I didn't know that about Brock. Yeah, he took uh, his teacher training with Chuck and Mati as well. Uh, that was the training after mine. And um, he was super passionate, you know, started practicing yoga, would practice every day, all, all day, you know, loved yoga and became um, Sean Korn's mentor, mentee and would assist her and just loved yoga and was himself basically right out of the starting gate, an amazing teacher, um, because of his energy and not because he was so knowledgeable, you know, he was a new teacher, but he just brought the passion and the love of yoga. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we basically met in an Annie and Vinny intensive. (laughs) That's a pretty good combination. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was wonderful. And, um, I studied with Annie until she moved away. And anytime Mati came to LA, I've studied with her. And this year will be the fifth consecutive year that I've done a teacher training with her. Wow. So I've, I've logged a lot of hours with her as well. Every time that she comes, do you feel like you learn something new? 100%. Yeah, she's definitely peeling layers and layers and layers. But she does it in the best way. She is one of the only teachers who really does it with love. You know, most teachers will do it with toughness and, or, you know, humor or, you know, there's so many different techniques of how to get your students to do what you want them to do. And she really just uses love and she's just so kind and I don't know, there's just something so rich about what she's offering. Definitely. Love that. And then she last year kind of hinted in a way or just put out there to me that I should maybe go study with her teacher, Dona Holloman, in Italy. So last spring, Brock and I went to study with Dona. She was Iyengar's original student. Mm. She learned everything that Iyengar basically taught before he became Iyengar, so when he was teaching Krishnamacharya yoga. Wow. So she basically learned everything that Krishnamacharya had taught him, and she has kept it. She's preserved the teachings. So that it's not what she teaches is not Iyengar yoga. It's what Iyengar was taught. Hmm. And um, then we just recently went back again to do another session with her. So we've done two sessions with her, 10 days of what, you know, she considers to be um, her style is called centered yoga. So it's all about, you know, coming to your truth and your center and letting go of all the all the things that can distract you from the root of what, you know, you're doing, which is paying attention to your patterns mm. and the ways that we habituate and suffer because of those habituations and how to... Um, her big thing is not doing, but learning how to not do. Definitely. Learning how to not do. Mm. So basically taking the habitual practices, dialing into them and becoming aware mm. of the things that we can change to become more aware. Yeah. And empowered. <laughs> and I empowered. Think empowerment like is a big thing with that because when you develop awareness of yourself, you get that golden opportunity to decide if you want to continue 
to act or speak or whatever it is in the way that you have been. If it's not serving you, it gives you the power to stop that cycle and to replace it with something more appropriate, mm. something that will really serve you, serve the world, serve you know your students, whatever. So I think it's, you know, for me to study with somebody who's been teaching for 50 years, she's been teaching yoga for 50 years, it's like, I can't even really begin to understand 50 years because I'm only 35. Wow. And she's been, you know, living this practice of yoga and she's really, truly a master. And she's Mati's teacher, you know, so <laughs> my teacher's teacher. So it's, it's, it was a really amazing, completely life transforming experience for sure. What would you say in learning from so many different lineages are three steps that yogis can bring into their practice of learning that will help them to progress on their path quicker mm. or more effectively? I think for me personally, it was practicing every day and to not be confined by the idea that a practice means you need to go to a class but even to spend time at home 15 or 20 minutes to check in and see what you need and to not just let days and days go by where you're not checking in and not really feeling your body you know, instead of just coming from the head, but really feeling your body and feeling a connection to it. Um, the other thing I would say is to have a vegetarian diet. I mean, I know that that's very difficult for a lot of people to hear, but I've been a vegetarian my whole life pretty much, um, apart from about three years when I did try to incorporate meat and I was never as disconnected from myself or as sick physically colds flu I even got walking pneumonia for the first time in my life mm. um, and I, I really have to say that being a vegetarian and now I'm a vegan there is a level of energy and connection that I lost when I was eating meat and I, I can't really explain it because it, it was a slow process of disconnection, but I became almost in a way numb to what is important to me. Mm. And I, I think that it was a systematic way of me disconnecting so that I wouldn't have to feel what I uh, was feeling energetically from what I was consuming. Totally. So that way I could shut down and still consume it without having the the negative feelings and the heartache of yeah. it yeah. yeah but my body became very sick mm -hmm. and you know I never ever have been to the hospital I've never had a surgery I've never broken a bone never had a cavity never been ill in my life <laughs> and the time when I was eating meat was I was the sickest my hair fell out I had pneumonia I was sick I was depressed I was very very disconnected from my true true self wow yeah. And what made you decide to make that decision to, to, to even eat meat? eat meat? It was really interesting. Um, somebody who I very much respected and loved, um, who, interestingly enough, is somebody who loves animals, um, basically told Brock and I that, you know, uh, eating soy and things like that was really bad for you. And he kind of gave us some facts and things that, I don't know, I guess it, it intrigued us. And so we decided to just give it a try. And then I think once you try it, it's so easy. It's so available. It's so convenient. You know, everybody eats meat anywhere you go. We were traveling a lot and teaching and it's like anywhere you go, it's accessible. And, you know, I was at that point kind of dealing with a little shoulder injury. And then as soon as I started eating meat, it went away. But I, I honestly think that it went away because I disconnected from my body hmm. and my mind just overrode my body and I wasn't in tune. I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't checking in. So I do think that all of the issues were just 
being swept under the rug. And there was a point when my body just exploded. It just couldn't handle it anymore. And um, I just was getting sick. My hair fell out. I was depressed. I was not, you know, myself. Wow. And it actually took a while for me to get back to detox. I, I, th- I think it was an energetic detox. It took about a year and a half to detox the energy. Of those three years of eating meat. Yeah. And now I've been a vegan for two years. Uh, Yeah, two years. That's awesome. And I've never felt better, stronger. I've not been sick in two years. Hmm. My hair has grown back. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, you've got long, beautiful hair. Yeah, Yeah, it grew six inches the first six months. Wow. I was a vegan. So your body is happy as a vegan. Oh, my God. My body has never... My mind has never felt more clear. My body has never felt better. I feel that I'm not as much of an egomaniac. I was really getting into the ego and uh, all of that. That energy, it was almost uh, it was almost like it took me over in a sense. And I've heard that, you know, Mike Tyson is now a vegan and he said when I was crazy, it was the meat. It made me crazy. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there is a point when you shut down so thoroughly because you can't deal with the energy. You know, if you're a sensitive person, that energy, um, that it's toxic, it's fear-based, it's, you know, it has a level of, um, like, you're surviving, you know, in any way that you can, and it's not a thriving energy. It's not, you know, you're at peace, you're, you're not trusting, there's no faith, there's none of that. It's all fear-based decisions and ego-based, and, you know, uh, for me, I just... I lost in touch with who I truly was in that Mm. time. And I'm really happy that I came back. And I'm really happy to be a vegan now. I really have never, ever felt so connected to myself. My husband is now a vegan, and he says the same thing. He's never felt stronger, healthier. He hasn't been sick in two years, so it's, it's good. It's really been a positive shift for us. That's beautiful. And what would you say is that third tip? The third one for me, 100%, is find a teacher that has enough knowledge to keep you interested. You know, for me, Mati, I love that she teaches from a place of love, but she also has practiced yoga so much in her life. She has so much time and energy invested in the practice of yoga and she Mm -hmm. really she's really really truly dedicated in every aspect of her practice and it keeps me inspired as a student and also as a teacher but in order to stay interested in doing the same, you know, whatever 50 poses that we do, really, there's such a limited amount of what we do every day. You know, it's the same thing over and over again. And to stay interested in that is really, I mean, it's, you really have to find somebody who is going to inspire you to stay interested in down dog (laughs) and plank and warrior one. And she really has a gift and she inspires people to stay with these rudimentary, basic, foundational poses. Hmm. And I think that that has kept me excited. So as a teacher, what would you say are some of the main aspects of someone who does inspire in the classroom, someone who is able to look at a student and truly bring that light out of the student? Well, I think the first thing is, is you really have to like people and you have to see that, you know, people are capable of being amazing and, you know, world changing and inspiring, but they also can be sad and depressed and they can be hurting and, you know, you get all of those people in your room, but you really can't assume that somebody is this or that you really have to treat everybody as if they are you know um maybe going through something or grieving something or perhaps they're just a little lost in their lives that's i think a lot of what um what i've learned as a teacher is to 
teach people to love themselves and to be gentle with themselves because even the most amazing practitioner who maybe seems arrogant or seems full of themselves you just don't know their story and you just cannot assume that they are full of themselves or that they need to be you know treated in some way that breaks them down or you know makes them more humble because the truth is is mostly people are really hard on themselves and the people who excel at the practice especially the physical stuff they're the ones who their inner voice is hard on them I mean they have the hardest time and their inner voice is hard on them and you know gives them a lot of probably suffering in their life so I think and this is you know one thing that I've really taken from Mati is just be kind and be gentle with people and help them to understand that you know they have everything that they need they're already perfect and through the practice as a teacher you're helping them to remember that Hmm. that they're already there and that they don't have to prove or show or do anything but they're already there and they just need to keep showing up and continue to remember that that's beautiful that's absolutely that was like the cherry on top (laughs) um i can really resonate with that being that i would say a lot of my practice has been very hard um coming from a soccer background as a you know, semi-professional soccer player in the college level or whatever, um, I really was hard on myself in practice. And now when it comes to the mat, I'm hard on myself on the mat. And um, oftentimes I find myself, you know, nicking the inner threads and really just being very focused on the looks, the aesthetics of the postures. And I would say within the the last year or so, my practice has completely changed because I've taken more time to really focus on how I feel inside and focus on more of the restorative practice, focus on more of the meditative practice so that I can get out of my head and more so breathe into my body and create space. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say are a few tips for people like myself who you know have been in the practice for a good amount of time and may have plateaued on their practice and Mm -hmm. gotten to a point where they feel they're like oh like you know how do I gain more flexibility how do I get to the next level Mm -hmm. you know I think that when you start to move past that Anamaya Kosha which is the outer you realize that the physical stuff is actually really pretty easy Mm -hmm. you know that work working hard exerting energy you know tapping into that adrenaline that stuff is pretty easy for most people like that's the candy you know Mm -hmm. and I think that once you start to do the work of you know listening to the voice you know in your head really observing it not listening to it and doing what it says but listening to it and not doing and just observing it I think that those are more challenging because uh, there's always going to be a point when, you know, you can get more flexible or more strength. But kind of at the end of that is really nothing. Where you're going to get the level of progress that probably the individuals who are more type A want, what they want to feel is satisfied. They want to feel peace. They want to feel a level of achievement that maybe isn't really physical. It just seems like the physical part is the most accessible or fun or attainable, whatever you want to say. But mm-hmm. through whatever the process of learning to be more flexible or learning to build more strength is observing your mind. You know, what's happening when you hit a plateau or when you hit an obstacle or when you get it? Mm. What don't don't just let the mind go observe it observe what it's doing what it's saying how it's flipping how it's maybe inflating or deflating your ego and how it's getting the power to shift i think that that is really 
more challenging and that reflection really, I think it takes you to a different place. Hmm. And once you get to that, I think then you start to realize that your head is what's in the way of your heart Hmm. because none of that stuff really matters. You know, it's the physical stuff is fun and it's an opportunity, but it's not the only way and it's not the end. It's the beginning. The end is when you really are sitting in the seat of the soul and you're really living in your truth and you're able to go out into the world and not be in judgment. You know, when you're really able to see things and to understand and accept that we are all on a path of our own and no one is on the same path as anyone else and to judge and to criticize and to to have all of those experiences is to observe that that's how we are with ourselves and to judge that we're not as flexible as we want to be or to criticize ourselves for not having the strength is just to continue that path of suffering where we're really not honoring where we already are which is in a state of perfection and it's the mind that gets in the way of that realization of the heart definitely yeah so to continue just with the physical is just to suffer continuously mm-hmm. but just use the physical to observe the mind so that you you can understand the mind you can give yourself a break and you can sit in the heart definitely with that being said i wanted to ask you do you happen to have a meditation practice i do have a meditation practice my meditation practice is something that I do sometimes when I'm early for a client and I'll just sit in my truck outside my client's house. And, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, have time after my practice to sit and meditate. Sometimes I'll go and walk my dog and sit down by the beach and meditate. I don't have a specific time or a place or there's not a goal of a time um, that I have. My meditation practice is, oh, I have a few minutes. I'm going to take advantage of these minutes or of, you know, this half an hour or 20 minutes, whatever it is. And I'm going to sit and close my eyes and just see, you know, sit in the back row of my mind Mm -hmm. and watch what thoughts walk through. And I'm not going to be concerned with how long they stay or why they came, but just to see what comes up. It is very interesting. It, to me, is almost like watching a movie because... You just never know what is lurking in the subconscious mind. And it is such a truly fascinating experience. And also to that, I have recently started doing some work that is not exactly meditation, but it feels like meditation because it's it's writing exercises hmm. where you're tapping into the subconscious and to see how your mind works. What type and of exercises? It's it's these exercises that are from um, my friend Mia Togo and my other great friend Marty are um, students of a woman who has since passed away. Her name was Mona Miller. Hmm. She was also Sean's teacher and Suzanne Sterling and Ashley Turner and just a woman who um, was really into kind of dissolving our... Um, barrier between the subconscious mind and and the conscious mind and helping you to understand that every time you have a trigger with a person or with an experience or with you know whatever is happening in the world it pisses you off or it makes you sad or it makes you feel a little crazy or whatever it is that those triggers come from your past so maybe let's say like for example with the paris attacks you know that triggered me i was really sad i was almost in a state of depression that night because I felt so affected by the violence and by the sheer idea that somebody could just want to hurt another person for absolutely no reason at all, just to arbitrarily commit an act of violence. But that triggered me because there are so many things in this world and I have participated in them in violent acts towards myself you know, hurting myself, being hard on myself, terrorizing myself. And these are things that I've had to slowly pull out and and to see that when an act of violence happens, it's all rooted in my subconscious. That's why I'm triggered by it. That's why I feel sad. That's why I feel affected Mm -hmm. is because I've never dealt with the fact that I have not deliberately, but 
in ways hurt myself, got in my own way, limited my own uh, experience of peace Hmm. and limited my own experience of abundance in my life and freedom. And in these ways, I'm angry at myself for limiting my own capabilities of bringing peace into the world, unification, the idea of abundance and faith. And, and this is an opportunity when something like this happens for me to look and to say, okay, where, where do I have a little something that I need to like look at and acknowledge? Because when we do that, then we can not be as paralyzed by it, you know? And just feel like such heaviness, but we can actually see like by taking action in my life, by actively being kinder to myself, gentler to myself, not criticizing myself, not being judgmental of myself. That is the beginning of ending that violence out in the world. It's a ripple. Mm-hmm. It starts with us. It starts with each individual person. Your vibration affects all and all vibrations affect you. And you have to understand why you're being triggered by things like that. And it's a lot of times our own subconscious mind. Mm. And we're angry at ourselves for, for limiting ourselves and for terror. I mean, we a lot of people terrorize themselves for not being good enough, for not being where they're supposed to be, you know, at a certain age, married or, you know, wealthy or whatever it is, you know. And we all, we all I think, suffer in that way. Definitely. You travel a lot very often with Brock? Uh, Less now. Mm -hmm. We did before, but less now. And what would you say in seeing the world and being around the world, um, how can we as yogis truly change the world? So this is another teaching that I've gotten first from Mati and then from this teaching of this woman, Mona, is that we, our words mean very little to people. It is all about your actions, how you show up. Do you show up in love? Do you show up with openness or are you defended? Are you fear-based? Are you closed down? Um, It is only truly our example that changes people. You can tell somebody to become a vegan or a vegetarian, but it will in no way be as impactful as you showing up and creating action behind that by going out of your way to whatever, bring your own food or to research where you need to eat when you're traveling or whatever it is. You know, when we go to Europe and things like that, we make sure that we deliberately search out, you know, where's a vegan market? Where's a farmer's market? How can we get fresh vegetables? We need a kitchen, you know, things like that. Um, to be an example, not to just say it, but to live it. Yeah. To live that path. Wow. That's. And to put your prana behind it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that people feel it. They Mm -hmm. feel what you're about. Yeah. That true energy, like living your truth fully. Well, it it hits them because it has prana, Mm -hmm. you know, and you feel prana, whether you are connected to yourself or not, it's affecting you. That energy is transmitting. Definitely. So just kind of drawing near towards the conclusion of all of this, I wanted to ask you, what is your definition of yoga? Mm. Well, the definition of yoga as I have understood it is that there is no separation. Separation is an illusion of the mind. And when we are living in the illusion of separateness, it allows us to be maybe a little judgmental or critical or mean. And to think that that doesn't affect the world as a whole. If we lift the veil of illusion and really truly live the idea that we are all one, there is no separateness. Every single thought that we have, if we really felt that that affected people that we loved and the causes that we love and the things that we're passionate about, I really think that it would shift everything in our personal world, but also that ripple effect. And and I think it's something that we're all struggling with because as much as intellectually we are 
you know, working day by day to lift that veil of separateness, it's difficult because it's so ingrained within our culture. And as we were growing up, it was ingrained, you know, within us, the separateness, the idea of, you know, our family lives on this plot of land and then there's a family next door and they're a separate family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we are so from day one brought up to believe that we're different, we're separate, all of that. And I think it's it's an ongoing practice to continuously remind yourself that every thought, every word, every vibration that I send out affects the whole. Definitely. With that being said, I feel like... Um... I've I've heard a lot about your opinion on social media. So I wanted to ask you <laughs> yes. seriously like how you feel about social media because in in my eyes I feel like it really is affecting the whole and allowing messages as true as yours to be broadcasted across the world so that people could follow and listen and like what you do is important. And that's why I feel Mm. such an obligation to the Yoga Revealed podcast and sharing this beautiful, knowledgeable, and amazing being right before me, being Krista, Mm. um, with the world. But I feel like someone like yourself with an amazing practice with so much to share about Mm. your views and your life. Well, I think that initially I hated social media because I felt that it only portrayed a certain fraction of people. And being that I lived in LA at that point in time, I I would know certain people on a level that was more or less seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, the mm-hmm. pretty, all of that. And then seeing kind of what was happening on their social media was very misleading in mm-hmm. my opinion. And I think that people have gotten better about it because I think that initially everybody's life was perfect. There was no problems in the world. You know, if I ever posted anything about like animals being abused or, you know, things that I cared about, no one cared. But if somebody posted something about their perfect life that had no negativity in it, everybody loved it. I didn't really understand it because I thought that, you know, animal cruelty was so much more important than a handstand picture for me I mean I was like why are people not caring about what you know I post I'm not posting you know a picture of myself but this is important I want people to understand you know mm-hmm. this is what I care about but then I realized that you know that that was that was triggering me because of my own shit mm-hmm. you know I'm allowed to say that yeah you're okay um <laughs> I was triggered by all of that because I was disowning so much of the negativity in my own life, you know? So the fact that people weren't acknowledging, you know, something that I felt was important, even though it was didn't have a glossy, perfect, you know, exterior, but there were things in my life that were not perfect and not, you know, uh, positive and everything that I was disowning that I wasn't taking a, a, a good objective look at, that I was shoving into a corner in my subconscious. So it has taken me to do a lot of this inner work of looking at my mind. You know, the meditation certainly has helped. And also just knowing that by judging or criticizing somebody else's path, whether it be social media or whatever, that's their truth. And if it needs to look glossy and perfect, that's fine you know and that's maybe what resonates with them and I don't have to necessarily subscribe to it and I also don't have to be negative about it and I really look back at that time when I was sort of an anti-social media person to now trying to find the happy medium of like you know maybe posting something that people will like on my page, like a picture of myself or a picture of Brock or a picture of my dog or food and try to balance it with the things that I actually really care about, which Mm -hmm. are, you know, um, the issues surrounding the environment, the issues surrounding, you know, our relationship to the animal tribe, which I feel is a huge disconnection, especially with yogis. Um, So I try to kind of, deal with my own disownment and and to own that and to be like, yeah, I really 
I wasn't owning my own stuff. And now trying to find that place where I can harmonize, you know, and be a messenger of truth, but also to maybe not be so like everything has to be just the hard truth because I do understand that it can be a bitter pill to swallow for people. Maybe they don't want to open their eyes to see what's happening in the world, that it is easier to stay asleep and to not know the truth and to see, you know, that there are some horrific things happening in the world. With all the horrific things happening in the world, what do you feel keeps you motivated to know that there is light? Um, you know, I just feel that we're coming to a place where we really are not going to have a choice. We either are all going to decide to come together and to shift and to shift towards being a conscious, more tapped in individual. And that's a choice that we're all going to have to make individually, or we're going to choose to want to stay asleep and to disown the truth and to not want to look at it. And it's going to either tip the world one way or the other. And I think that in my personal life, a lot of my friends are having children. And I think that that is a catalyst for them to want to open their eyes and to see that, you know, DeHouse University has basically stated that by the year 2048, there will be nothing left in the ocean. Not one thing. If we continue the way that we are, there will not be one animal left in the ocean. And that's not that far off in the future. And so these friends of mine, these people that I care about are having children and they're looking at that and they're thinking, I don't want my child to grow up in a world where there is no sea life, where there is no opportunity for them to experience what we have experienced and what we have been so fortunate to experience in our lives. And I think that hopefully those people with their children will create a stream of consciousness through raising them consciously and having the information, you know, serve to them in palatable portions, you Mm -hmm. know, because they are kids and they can't take all the, the straight truth because it's too much for them for their little openness and you know I don't I would never ever suggest anyone to show them any of the documentaries or anything that are more straightforward but to just begin to do things in the home you know and ways to be more sustainable and to maybe not have seafood or meat at all and to find alternatives that are um, educating them just through life I think that's going to be I think I hope can you give us a few actionable, um, just ways that we can change our day-to-day that would make an impact on the ocean? Do not buy any products from the ocean because you vote with your money. Every time you spend money on a product that comes from the ocean, you are investing in the future industries of fishing and, you know, of taking from the ocean. Right now, the ocean needs to just be left alone and we need to just let her try to recover. A second really important thing is to limit single-use plastics, straws. And this is really hard with kids because kids, you know, I mean, every product yeah needs it can't be glass it's a kid you know what i mean so it needs to be plastic it needs to be but if you can find ways to reuse bottles you know to have a water bottle that's reusable to have you know stainless steel straws that are reusable or plastic straws that are reusable um to pack them a lunch so that they're not using the styrofoam and the things at school that are you know the plastic utensils and things like that Um, And even as adults, I mean, when Brock and I go on an airplane, we have our own vessels for water. We Mm -hmm. don't, you know, partake in any of the plastic. We bring our own food in sustainable packaging. You know, it's just and it's not just for us. It's for everyone sitting around us that sees us not wasting and not, you know, doing that. Another way I would say is if you're really if you're really excited about being a changer, uh, an inspirer in this world, become a vegan. I mean, I really don't know any other way because I know that that makes me so much less popular. 
Like I'm not You're popular to, in my eyes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to be a popular yoga teacher because the things that I say and and believe in are not popular ideas. But if you become a vegan, you reduce your carbon footprint. And that carbon is being soaked up by the ocean and that ocean is becoming acidified. And even a 1% change in the ocean breaks down the infrastructure of the coral reefs. And that is the basis of the health of the ocean. Mm -hmm. So if we can be impactful by becoming vegan, we reduce the acidification of the ocean, but we also reduce the pollution of the water from, you know, the dairies, but also from these meat, meat plants and also the cutting down of the rainforest so that they can have the grass-fed beef. I know people say, you know, well, I eat only grass-fed, but that's why the Amazon is being cut down is because... More people want yeah, more grass-fed. Yeah, yeah, a thousand acres a day is being cut down because they need the land for cows. And the amount of water that it takes... You know, we are taking water from precious resources that we could be using to regrow trees and things that we need for oxygen. And really, it is a matter of survival at this point. Wow. Well, to end on a lighter note. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to be very popular, that's for sure. (laughs) No, I think that... This is this is why we're sharing this because yoga is revealed in all lights of the world mm. and in all lights of the word yoga. Mm-hmm. Yoga has the dark and the light aspect. It's a yin and a yang. Mm-hmm. And if we choose to only look at the shiny good stuff, then we're just doing ourselves a disservice. And the truth of it all is that we're in this together and yogis are just as much a part of this world as the doctors, the scientists, the people that are, you know, on the front lines of helping for conservation and the people that are on the front lines of passing bills and laws that help to change this world for Mm -hmm. the better. So, you know, for those listeners out there, we hope that you listen to this and actually make a conscious change because it takes only one decision to be able to make a full on positive change in this world. Yeah. Huge ripple effect. Totally. Uh, (laughs) So I want to hear, just in closing, if you could leave our awesome Yoga Revealed listeners with a few golden nuggets, things that will help them stay inspired and motivated to practice, what would they be? Um, The first thing is that don't wait till you're ready to start because you're already ready. You're already there. You're already perfect. And... There is no time like now to just do whatever it is that you're called to do. The second thing is that the fact that we're broken or fragmented is an illusion. We're not. We're whole. Yoga is the practice of being reminded that we're already whole, connected, perfectly designed and ready to serve and to meet our dharma and to be of you know service to the world. And the third one is to show up in love because we... Even if we're having a great day, we are surrounded by people always who are in a state of suffering from their own mental criticisms, judgments, the feelings of being inadequate or not good enough or not, you know, being um, where they thought they should be. And just showing up in love and being an example of the confidence that I'm already there, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to serve, I'm ready to go out into the world and do the work that I need to do. Just that example is an inspiration to somebody who is feeling inadequate or disconnected from their truth. Totally. Well, the Yoga Revealed podcast listeners are better and absolutely enlightened to hear your voice and thank you so much for being here with us today thank you your knowledge your wisdom (laughs) and your absolute love is much appreciated thank you very much namaste chris namaste for more information on krista Hill, make sure to check out kermaalliance.org that's k-u-r-m-a alliance.org and kahilyoga.com for more on her workshops and upcoming worldwide schedule. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and drop us a five-star review if you love the interviews that we do. Join the community online at yogarevealed.com for more behind-the-scenes action. Live light, shine bright. Namaste, yogis. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.